God, thanks again just for the opportunity to be able to bring all these kiddos on stage and see their faces. And Lord, really understand um, what you have given us as a church family to steward. These precious little kids to love, to care for, and to raise in the Lord. And so, Lord, we just, uh, again, we just ask that your spirit would guide us to do that well and to take that seriously. Lord, we uh, also just want to recognize that what we're about to do is really significant. We're going we're gonna to open your word and read from it and, and hear from you. And Lord, just thankful for Evan and the preparation that I know he's put in this week to study your word and to be able to teach it to us this morning. And so I just pray that we would have open hearts and minds uh, for what you have to say to us, Lord, especially from a text that I know, Lord, is, is going to be challenging for each of us. But Lord, as we look at this challenging text in James chapter two, Lord, I also know we're gonna get a view into your heart for people. And Lord, it's so hard for us to have the same kind of heart for other people that you have for people. And so God, I just pray through Evan and by your spirit, uh, as we study your word, that Lord, you would challenge us, but also encourage us in this truth. We love you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Alan preached the sermon already. How about that? You guys are dismissed. Turn, if you will, to your Bibles to James chapter 2, if you have your Bible with you. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 is where we're going to be today. And we continue in our series on James. I've been saying that James is a lot like, or I like to summarize James to be dirty theology. James is like dirty theology. James is terribly practical. It's a letter that is so simple, but not easy. And so I say dirty theology because I think what James shows you and me is that our faith in Jesus is a lot like a pair of shoes. I've said this every week. And what I mean by that is our faith is meant to be lived in. And what do our shoes get when we walk around in life? They get dirty, right? And I think James is showing practical theology, a theology that is willing to get dirty. And what I mean by that is our faith is meant to handle all that life brings to you and to me. Dirty because James is writing to a group of people, really the first church after Jesus' death and resurrection, and these people, these Jewish Christians that are reading this letter are getting it in the midst of poverty, of persecution, and of famine. Now, how does our faith work in the midst of difficult situations? So that's what I mean by dirty theology. And so last week what we did is we looked at the very end of James chapter 1, when James chapter 1 is really James's introduction to the rest of the four chapters of James. And last week what we saw was in verse 22, James says something like this. He says, be doers, not just hearers. James is pressing you and me, the Jewish Christians of that time and us this morning to be the people of God. And what does it mean to be the people of God? It means that we are like God and how he interacts with his people. And so this week, we're going to zoom in 
Chapter two really is like this zoom in, right? If you had Google Maps open and you saw the United States of America and you'd see your little blue dot right here in Virginia, you would have to zoom in to kind of figure, well, where exactly am I right now? You'd find it. That's what James is doing right now. He's given us the broad map and now he's zooming in on one specific area of what it means to be the people of God. What does it mean to live? What does our faith look like? And what we're gonna see today is that the people of God will be like God when we relate to one another the way God relates to us. Meaning, we'll know what God is like and then we'll act like he likes Let's read our text. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God, it's a heavy text. I feel the weight of it. I felt it all week as I've just studied this, Lord. And and Lord, I just, I confess even, I've said this to you in private and I say it now in public, but There's places where I don't like this. I feel like I don't need this. And yet, I know there are places in the deep recesses of my heart where this sin of partiality plays out in my life. And Lord, I pray by your spirit and by your grace and your kindness that your mercy would then lead me to repentance. And Father, I pray for the same for everyone in this room or online who is listening to your word this morning. Would we heed James's call? Lord, would you help us to relate to others the way you relate to us, God? And we ask this in Jesus' precious and his powerful name, amen. What is partiality? 
So first thing I want to do, I just want to start off with a working definition of what partiality is. Because James is saying, this is obviously the opposite of how Jesus wants you and me to relate to one another. So the definition is up on the screen. You could Google this definition and find it. It's the first one that came up, so that's why I took it. I'm just kidding. Partiality, as you see it up there, is an unfair bias in favor of a person compared with another person. So keep this in mind as we work through our text this morning. Now, in order to understand James' point in verse 1 on not showing partiality, I want us to look right away at verses 8 and verses 12, because these verses will ground you and me in how we should actually relate to one another. It is the hinge of James' whole argument. And we're also going to see how James understands the connection between his brother Jesus, the resurrected Lord. He understands his Lord's teaching as well as the teachings of the Old Testament. And we'll see James bring this synthesis of these two together as he teaches you and me and and implores followers of Jesus to show no partiality. Verse 8 says this. Let me back up real quick. I want to just summarize verses 8 and 12 real quick. Verses, those two verses show us, and you'll see it on the screen, that loving your neighbor as yourself, and we're to do that because we are to be judged under the law of liberty. That's really important. That's, the, that's like the main point here that James is arguing for. So we look in verse 8, and we see this immediately. Verse 8 says, If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Where's James getting this from? James is actually writing seven years before Paul ever writes his first letter to the church in Thessalonica. Like roughly seven years before. So James is not picking up from Paul. James is picking up, again, like I said, from his understanding of his brother Jesus' teachings and his understanding of the Old Testament. So we see in verse 8, loving your neighbor as yourself. James knew that this is what his brother Jesus taught. Look at Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven through 40. Jesus says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. Jesus' words, not James. James is just reiterating the very thing that Jesus is teaching. And Jesus' understanding of the Old Testament as well. And he also would have known his Old Testament very well, which is why he links show no partiality in verse 1 to fulfilling the royal law here in voice, verse 8. James knew Deuteronomy 10, 17, and it says this, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not, what? Partial and takes no bribe. James also knew Leviticus 19.15 that says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be what? Partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Sound familiar? And lastly, James knew Leviticus 19.18 where it says, You shall take, not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people. Look again. But... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 
Verse 8 is so important because it grounds James' whole argument in everything that he knows, everything that he understands. And he's telling you and me and those Christians of that time that loving God is evidenced by how we love one another. Does it sound repetitive yet? He's telling us that loving God is evidenced by how you and I love each other. Verse 12 says, so speak, so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Why is verse 12 so important to James' argument on showing no partiality? It's simple. He says, we'll be judged. That's not like really happy Sunday morning talk, is it? That's super encouraging, Evan. Thanks. We're going to be judged. You're going to be judged. You're going to be judged. I'm going to be judged. But again, if we understand the context of that time, the understanding of judgment was far more familiar to them probably than it is for us. And I don't know if that's a good thing for us today. James says, you will be judged. James wants Christians. James wants these new believers, those who've transitioned their faith from the Jewish customs to become followers of this man, Jesus. He is saying, listen, you need to know, you need to take into account how you live your life. You need to take into account the final judgment in how you live your life, namely how you live it in light of other people. Where does that come from? Why is verse 12 so important? Is it not Jesus's very words? Listen to Matthew 25, 41 through 46. This is Jesus talking about the judgment, the final judgment. And I'm going to skip down to the second half of that in verse 41. Jesus says this, talking to people who would know him. Then he will say to those on his left, he, meaning Jesus, depart from me, you cursed and the internal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. This is stunning. And they will also answer, saying, Lord, a familiarity, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it unto me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. James is imploring us to examine our lives this morning and our actions in light of who Jesus is. And the royal law is an adjective that shows the kingly status of Jesus. It's King Jesus. What do our lives look like in light of King Jesus? So what is this law of liberty that James refers to that we're going to be judged by or under? 
The law of liberty is summarized in verse eight. James doesn't give a complete definition of what he means by the law of liberty. He summarizes it though in verse eight. And he says, the law of liberty is this, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law. King Jesus's authority is being explained here in this law. And so you see, he combines Jesus's teachings along with the Mosaic law and uses royal as that adjective to describe the kingly rule of the resurrected Jesus. When Jesus was washing his disciples' feet, some of you may be familiar with this. Jesus himself did this. He brought the Mosaic law into context with his own life. And what does he say we are to obey? What law? This is the royal law. Read with me in John 13, 34 through 35, that Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. He's talking to his disciples and to us. that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, James verses eight and 12 sets us up to understand our main point. He's telling us that loving God is what? Evidenced by how we love our neighbor and one another. So to the problem of partiality, let's look at, Verses two through four, James is gonna give us a very poignant picture here. We just read this together, but I'm gonna read it again for us. And here's the stage is set for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing, you say, sit here in a good place. Or you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit down on my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become Judges with evil thoughts. James shows this picture of partiality, of prejudice based on someone's outer appearance. Is that not what the text shows? Partiality, favoritism, prejudice, all synonyms. And I just want to ask an honest question. Like, what would you do if this happened. What would be going on inside of you if you were the person in this situation where there's the rich person and this poor person? How would you respond? Can I be honest with you? I initially was like, I wouldn't be like that. (laughs) Jesus, no, I would not be like that. And if you just sit just for maybe a little bit longer. There's things that come up in my life where I know I've avoided people. I used to work in downtown DC. I'd rationalize all the time certain behaviors of ignoring or not making eye contact with certain people. I'm not trying to make a point that we're supposed to stop and talk to every single person that we do, but I know inside of me there is a hint There's a hint of this partiality where I would judge someone based on how they look. I might not feel safe. You've ever not felt safe somewhere? Is it because you know the person in front of you? Like you know everything about them? I don't, and I've made decisions to turn around and go somewhere else or drive, not go somewhere. Just an honest question. In your own heart, what would you do in this situation? I think this is pressing you and me in some very sobering ways because basically it's asking you and me what makes us uncomfortable. 
What makes you uncomfortable when you see someone based on just even outer appearances? You're probably looking at my shirt and go, bro, your shirt makes me uncomfortable. Sure makes my wife uncomfortable. What makes you uncomfortable when you see someone? How would you treat them? Is it appearance? Is it how someone smells? If you've been around the poor in any context, you know what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to be real. There's things that I can get really, really, really kind of disgusted by and repelled by. He said, it's sobering for me. How would you respond? Treating one another like this, James is showing, treating someone like this, showing an unfair bias towards someone in favor of someone else, this is in direct opposition to the ways of God. It just is. Partiality violates God's command for us to love each other. When we start then becoming what James says, judges with evil thoughts. That's why racism, showing favoritism towards people based on their skin color, what they do, or higher or lower socioeconomic statuses, it's absolutely wrong in every single case according to our God. The law of liberty is the gospel of Jesus, the good news that Jesus fulfilled everything that we couldn't do. So the whole point James is making is how on earth could you then, in light of what Jesus has done for you, treat someone on basis of anything about their appearance, what they like, what they don't like? Because God has never treated you and me that way. God's grace has been shown to everyone, not some. And Jesus said he came for the sick, not the healthy. If we look down on those who are sick in this scenario that James is pointing, if we look down on those who are needy or push them to the side because they're simply not like us, we fundamentally don't understand God's grace. I, Evan, don't understand God's grace when that stuff comes out of my heart and then I respond in those ways. I am missing the very nature of God and how he is towards me when I treat someone or think about someone in that way. This is serious, James says. why he zooms in. Verse 10, if you look at that, he says, forever who keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. This idea of partiality, this isn't just some minor thing that I'm just trying to talk about. He's saying, if if you're doing everything else, which, by the way, James isn't saying anyone can do it all. He's just simply making a rhetorical point that if you, by chance, were doing everything else right, but you have partiality, you've transgressed the entire law of liberty. You've missed the gospel of Jesus. And so, as we looked in verse 12, he wants us to speak and act as those who will be judged. So the singular point, again, it's repetitive, I know. That partiality has no place in God's kingdom, so therefore God's people should never show partiality to anyone. James wants us to see and know that the people of God will be like God when we relate to one another, the way God relates to us. 
Verse five, listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which is promised to those who love him? Do you hear the pleading in James' letter? I can imagine him just leaning over and writing, listen, listen. Do you remember what he said in the previous talk about listening? Be quick to hear, listen here. My beloved brothers and sisters, listen to me. Do you not remember? He so badly wants this message to get all the way down into our souls. He is saying, remember your condition before God? Don't you remember what it means to be poor? Don't you remember what it meant to not deserve God's grace? Don't you remember that? That's why it's so critical to hear James and heed James' warning By showing partiality to the poor in this example, we show or someone shows that they have forgotten the work of grace that God has already done in them. That's dangerous, friends. That's why he says, listen. Verse six and seven. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? James really, he's just digging in here, showing three things that partiality shows and does. Partiality, number one, shows it's a primary concern for ourselves, isn't it? When we show partiality, we're showing a singular concern for ourselves, not someone else. He says it in regards to the rich person. This person even oppresses you. Now, the two through four, that's really kind of like, that's not a specific event that's happening. That's a broad example of the way partiality works out. But here, James is getting very specific to the context of his readers. Remember, they've gone through poverty. They're, going through, they're struggling with poverty. They're struggling with uh, famine, and they're struggling with persecution. Poverty and persecution here are in view. And he's saying, listen, you yourself, as they're reading this, they would know you even... Show partiality to the ones who oppress you. Why? Because there's an unfair bias towards the rich in this example. And partiality is a concern for oneself. And so you'll even contradict, you'll go against, you'll, you'll put yourself in a space where the people you are so frustrated with, you're gonna show them favor because you're hoping to curry favor with them so your position might get better. He's going, they're the ones that are oppressing you. And by the way, he actually moves to the very part. He said, they blaspheme the very name that you now hold and call yourself to, the name of Jesus. And yet you show partiality to them and not the poor. What partiality shows us here is what our hearts are actually really set on. What motivates us in any kind of partiality is a desire to have our kingdoms built up, not God's kingdom. So we can easily, myself included, this, is, this presses on me. I don't know how you're doing. Maybe do we need to come up for air a little bit? I know, I feel it right now. I feel the weight. I don't know where you're at. But listen, I know Evan's kingdom is always at war with God's kingdom. And I can easily look to those who have power and status And I can look to them for hope or opportunities. And that's not always bad. 
But when we start acting with the sin of partiality, we've gone off the rails. We can look to physical appearances as a measuring stick, can't we? We can see people as opportunities that help satisfy us and maybe our materialistic cravings to get what we want. And so we'll show favor towards someone over another. All of this comes from a heart that actually is not ruled by Jesus. And so we see what James going after here. He says in verse eight through 11, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, has also said, do not murder. But if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. He goes back to where we started this morning. He's reminding us exactly what God's kingdom is not like. He's reminding of us what it looks like to follow Jesus and how to show love. And I think there are many of us in this room, my guess is, that have felt the sting of partiality. Maybe it's for the color of your skin. Maybe it's because of your education or lack thereof. Have you ever been embarrassed to answer a question about yourself to somebody else? What does that feel like? Why? Have you been treated differently because you're a good athlete or you're a terrible athlete? Or you're smart or you're not smart? The way you look? Have people made comments about that and said, I want to be friends with you for very specific reasons and none of them had to do with your character? What's that been like? See, I think we've all felt that sting of partiality. Have we not? Love your neighbor as yourself. Is that not the antidote for causing this kind of pain? Verse 12 and 13, this is the close of it. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We've already looked at that together. Verse 13 says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James concludes with living and loving the way God has loved us. We are free because of what Jesus has done for us to live in ways that don't lead to these damaging and devastating effects of partiality in our lives with each other. That's the law of liberty. That's what we're set free for. That's what James is saying. James closes this with Matthew 5, 7. He would know Jesus' very words on the Sermon on the Mount where he says, blessed are what? The merciful, for they will what? They'll receive mercy. What does James mean for us? What, like, what does this mean for us today? I was thinking a lot of different things about that and just praying through it. And As I thought about this, Paul's words from Romans actually came into my mind. And again, remember, Paul wrote after James, but I want to read it. It'll be on the screen with you. And, and this really came up. And so I think this will be like our, our call today. This is essentially going to be our section of application and how to fend off showing no partiality together. You can read behind the screen with me. Romans 13, eight through 10, Paul says this. How do we apply this today? What are we supposed to do? Paul is very helpful. 
owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, sound familiar? You shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word or law or royal law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul tells us, what are we to do today with this? How do we do this stuff, y'all? Oh, no one, anything but what? Love. But you know what else it reminded me of? It reminded me why we're a church. Remind me of why we do this. Why God has brought us together week after week, month after month, year after year. Reminded you, me of you and me together. It reminded me why we exist here in Herndon, right here and right now. The hopeful part of this is that this is what we're supposed to do together. For what? The glory of God. He says, unto the Lord of glory. First one, the Lord of glory. That's not used often in the New Testament. James is appealing to the utter magnificent of King Jesus. The one whom we gather week after week under and for and with. So encouraged that we come together to seek to help one another fulfill the royal law together upon which we will all be judged. Yes, we will. But thank God we have Jesus that will stand in our place in his righteousness, not our own. I was reminded that we get to live our lives together on behalf of this Lord of glory. I thought of the Hernan Festival. I was there for a few hours. Many of you were there for many more hours. I thought, this is what it looks like to show no partiality. And maybe you didn't think of it that way. Praise the Lord. I met many people that day. Some had no interest in Jesus. Some were very different than us. I saw our own children handing out invitations for them to come to church, loving their neighbors. Saw you doing that. Saw you taking bikes from strangers, not despising them for things they might have said or crude jokes that I'm sure were told or the way they were behaving in any way. You guys showed no partiality. You loved them. You served them. This is just a small, small sample size of that, guys. This is what James's words reminded me of. This is what the church is meant to be. It's meant to be a place where there is no partiality. And we are not going to get it right all the time. But we're going to be reminded of the royal law and come back to it, that there was one who did get it right all the time. He's the one that has shown us grace to come together. And I was reminded that we get to love our neighbors. That's why we're here. That's why we gather every week. We come to worship God, to be reminded of our desperate need for God in every space. And then that from that place, we see that God will fill us so that we may love him and then love other people. I was reminded of why we're a church. We get to love each other. 
We get to try to do this over and over and over again. We get to reject partiality in a world that is terribly partial. But why do we do that? Because that's who God is. That's what God has done for you and for me, isn't it? Jesus is the perfect example for us to see how we are supposed to relate to one another in the world around us. It made me think about our mission statement. It's not just something we want to throw up on a website. It's a deep prayer. It's a deep longing to see God continue to move in and through us as his people, as his ambassadors to a dying world that needs hope, to a world that is partial in almost every single way possible, that we might be what he says, a city on a hill who is not partial, but instead a diverse community that follows Jesus. The color of her skin is not the means upon which we base any judgment whatsoever. We're image bearers of God. It's beautiful. And so that means that we just strive to show no partiality towards each other by the color of our skin or wherever you've come from or whatever you have done or what you haven't done. Whatever's in your bank account, maybe you have a lot or maybe you have a little. Wherever you are with that, we come and we strive to be a diverse community of all different shapes and sizes. Whatever your needs are versus whatever your needs are, Jesus says you're welcome and so we do too. We strive to be diverse in the needs of the church. We don't just serve one set of needs and not another. We open ourselves up and we say, God, help us to love each other wherever you're at. Whatever your preferences are, like I like this kind of music or I like that, like we come no matter what because what? God doesn't treat us partially. God doesn't use his preferences against us. He comes towards us. Whatever your political persuasion whatever your political persuasion. This one stung. I know people have left churches all over the place, and maybe you have too. I don't know. Alan talked about fear. God's not called us to be partial towards one another. That's not God's way. Political persuasions are not the reason why we come or don't come to a church. King Jesus. I don't mean to be simplistic. Our striving is always to owe one another love, not to judge them based on any sort of differences. And that's why as God's people are reminded and by his grace that we want to be a diverse community that loves people, which means we strive to love our neighbors as ourselves in the midst of conflict. I know there's conflicts in the middle of this church and I'm so proud of many of you as you stick to, to commit to saying, listen, I'm not gonna leave you because the gospel promises that God never leaves us. So there's always hope, there's always grace. That's real love when you come against conflicts and you stay rather than leave. I'm proud of you guys. Working hard to trust Jesus in the midst of conflict. That's love for one another. And in disagreements and preferences that you stay, there's preferences and disagreements all over this local church, and yet you stay because you love each other. I'm so proud of you for that. God is pleased with that. We're not showing partiality towards one another to say we're just a bunch of people who all like the same thing. That's not love. 
It means we love each other because we're so different in socioeconomic backgrounds too. So proud of you. There's some in here who are so well off and God has blessed you and there's others who are struggling so hard and that is not the, the basis upon which you have a relationship with one another. But is that the way the world works all the time? No, no. Proud of you. That's God's kingdom at work. Loving each other means we go towards one another. And we learn how to care and invest in each other and to help them out. Simple but not easy. And that's the very thing that James was saying before. And I was just reminded and just encouraged. That's why I'm taking this past several minutes to just encourage you and continue to challenge you that this is what James is getting after. This is what God's people look like. We are doing it by God's grace. Not perfectly. But we're looking to the one who does. And he's the one who gives us the strength to continue to do that. And the last thing I was thinking about in our church mission statement, that this text in Paul's words of, oh, no one, anything except love, was that we're a safe place to be known. Alan says this all the time. That's only an aspirational value until it's actually experienced. Where there's partiality, there's not safety. The law of liberty that James points to, the good news that Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly on behalf means we can rest in our relationship with God because our sins have been forgiven by Jesus' shed blood and our relationship is now restored. And that makes our relationship with God, listen to this, the safest relationship in the universe. Jesus says, love each other. How? The way I loved you. I'm safe. There's nothing you can do that would take my love away from you. Nothing you can do or say that can take my love away from you because of my son, Jesus. Therefore, we have an opportunity to live in relationship with one another in such a way that sin and shame, that breeds partiality, favoritism, and judgment, and condescension, we live in a way that no longer has those things that have to play a role in our relationships. That is possible. And I want to encourage you, as one of your pastors, you all have been doing work to trust your Lord and Savior, to live from that perfectly safe relationship between God and you, and in turn to open yourselves up to one another. You know what you've done? You've lived in a way that shows no partiality with each other. You'll listen to anyone's story and where they've been or what they've come from. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for you. You didn't judge them. You listened. You were curious with them. You wanted to know more. You want to help them grow and grow in their knowledge and faith in Jesus. You all are doing that. Commend you. James pleads us with us, as we saw last week, not to gaze into the mirror of God's saving grace for you and me, and then to walk away and forget what that even looks like. Remember the mirror? That's just the challenge I leave you with this morning. Keep it up. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget what God has done in your life. 
As we close, the last thing I just want to say is what we started with at the very beginning. When we relate to one another the way God relates to us, we represent God's character, what he's like, by how we treat each other. Paul says in Romans 2.11, and I close with this, for God shows no partiality. Heavenly Father, I'm simultaneously encouraged and challenged by your word this morning. And Father, I'm thankful that you haven't left us alone. Father, I'm thankful that you haven't shown partiality with me. Lord, in the ways I've behaved or the things I've done or the things I haven't done, God. Instead, as Paul even says, that you're Kindness has actually led me in many, many places over years and years to repentance. And God, I want to live in a way that shows your love that you have for me with those around me. And God, I confess, I don't always do that well. I miss it sometimes, God. I don't even realize when I'm being partial. And Lord, maybe that's true of many of us in this room this morning. And so God, I'm I'm praying for them as well, Lord, that they would even take this time just to confess. Lord, where we need to confess and know that you're faithful to forgive us. And Lord, in that, God, you in turn tell us, go and love the way you have been loved. So Father, I just also just want to thank you for what you're doing in this small church here in Herndon. Lord, as I just get to be encouraged by looking around and seeing so many places where these people, God, are really, really, really serious about their love for you and their love for one another. And Lord, though we're not perfect and we're never going to be perfect, God, that our commitment and their commitment is to you. And so, Father, in that, I pray, God, that you would just continue to grow that love for each other and for our neighbors. And Lord, that Grace Hill might be a diverse community that loves Jesus, that loves one another, and it's a safe place to be known, God. Help us to love each other the way you love us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.